From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Off the Post. I'm your host, John Mattis of Post Media, and today on the line from Calgary, Eric Francis, also of Post Media, covers the Flames for us there and of Sportsnet. Eric, how's it going? I'm great. How are you? I'm pretty good. Uh, things have been happening today. <laughs> Willie Desjardins is gone in Vancouver uh, yesterday, so we're recording this on Monday night on Sunday. Lindy Ruff is out of Dallas, and then now, an hour or two ago before I pressed record here, uh, Dean Lombardi and Daryl Sutter out in L.A. So I didn't have you on to talk about coaches and GMs, but uh, what's your reaction to the L.A. news? Because I find that one the most intriguing. Well, I mean, I don't think it's a shock that Daryl Sutter was let go. I'm surprised that both of them got let go uh, as a tandem. Uh, certainly Lombardi has made some questionable moves this year. I mean, that that Ben Bishop trade still has me scratching my head. I thought, well, maybe there's some method to that madness and it'll all come out in the wash and we'll figure out why he did it. But it, 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 it didn't make sense from the day he did it. And obviously now it really doesn't make sense when they needed goal scoring, not goal tending. Um, but, you know... Daryl Sutter, they always say he's a, he's a shelf life coach. Um, hey, all coaches are shelf life coaches. They all get fired eventually. But Daryl Sutter, it seems, wears out his welcome a little faster than others because he's so hard on the players. Um, you know, to promote Rob Blake, that's been a long time coming. This guy's been working his way through the league and now, now up to a, a, a GM, you know, role, which is great for him. Luke Robitaille named the team president. That's fantastic, too. These guys are highly respected, and I, I can't really question those moves in terms of PR, but in terms of whether they can get the job done, I'd rather have Dean Lombardi in there than than, than a rookie in Rob Blake. But anyway, uh, the LA Kings obviously felt like two, three missing the playoffs two out of three years is is enough, and they need to make radical changes. and And maybe that's what it takes. You know, the culture there was such that for whatever reason they had a lot of talent in that lineup but couldn't score goals. And nobody could quite explain it, um, but maybe a new coach will be able to bring in a new breath of life and uh, and, and re- rekindle their ability to put the puck in the net because they certainly have the talent to be able to do so. Yeah, and with Sutter and his playing style, maybe it's just worn thin on, on the players because he's very, uh, you know, pucks on the net immediately, like not more shot volume than quality, and he has a lot of big bodies. He likes them to bang, bang around. They're... They're kind of a unique team around the league because a lot of teams are going to speed and small and they're still big and they're still kind of crashing around. So I don't know if that'll shift now or if they're still going to play to their players' strengths. I guess that'll be something to watch. But I like that Rob Blake is a GM more so, not necessarily because he might be better than Dean Lombardi, but I know that Blake's been kind of sitting in the in the shadows, you know, kind of uh, working to, to move up to this point. So I'm interested to see how he does in, in really a, a very important role. Yeah, yeah, and I I, I think in terms of Daryl Sutter, I think you're going to see him reemerge pretty quickly here, not that he needs to. Um, I get the, you know, I've always got the feeling, I know Daryl took year, you know, several years off, uh, you know, I think it's about 20 years ago now, just to be with his family, be with his son. Um, and, you know, he's a family man, and he, he's a farmer at heart. Uh, so he may just want to relish a year or two on the farm or with his family. But uh, if I know Daryl, and I think I do know him quite well, he'll be back at it pretty soon. I mean, there are already openings, um, you know, Florida, 
is looking for a coach. Uh, Dallas is looking for a coach. He may be a good fit for one of those cities. We'll see. It's, uh, we've not heard the last of Daryl Sutter. And it's funny because when he left Calgary, I think everybody assumed we had seen the last of Daryl Sutter because we thought he was too hard on players and he'd wore, he'd wore thin in the league. But uh, I think he bo- boosted his stock by winning two cups in, in, in L.A. That'll do that for anybody. And uh, I think he'd be pretty much in demand. Yeah, I wonder if he ends up in Vegas, too. There's another vacancy. Um, we're going to move on, though, to the playoffs. The reason why I'm having you uh, on the podcast, because you're following the Flames. So we're going to start there, and we're going to keep this podcast within the Western Conference. And with the Flames and the Ducks, you know, I don't know if I've seen many takes out there that are saying that the Flames have much of a chance. Where do you land on the spectrum? Are you picking the Ducks? Are you picking the Flames? And by how much, either way? Yeah, I, I certainly am not going to disagree with uh, I disagreed with the masses when they counted the Flames out this year I really did think they would bounce back and make the playoffs but uh, now that they're in they've drawn the worst possible opponent um, I I can't I can't fathom that the Calgary Flames will be able to win a seven game series against a team that has had their number for the better part of a dozen years I could trot out a million statistics right now to make it almost impossible to believe that the Calgary Flames could win this series but I'll paint a picture as to the one way that they could they haven't won in, in Anaheim, as I think most people know, and since 19, uh, 2006 was a playoff game, but their last regular season game was 2004. That's crazy long, and that's a NHL record. Um, <clears throat> the one scenario I could see where they could pull this off is because everyone's counting them out, which people did all year against this team. What if they won one game in uh, the Honda Center? What if they uh, surprised even themselves maybe by winning a game in the Honda Center where they've never been, they haven't been able to win, you know, for 12 years? I, I think that if they could do that, the momentum they could get from that, the confidence they could get from that, could really have the Ducks on their heels. Suddenly, they, you know, Flames would have home ice advantage. They'd come back to Calgary where the city's going to be going nuts, and suddenly it could be a Calgary series to lose. I, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but that would be one scenario where I think the Ducks would really be reeling if suddenly the magic they've had over the Flames disappeared in one game or maybe two at the Honda Center. So huge pressure on the Flames to steal a game in in Anaheim. If they do, then they have a chance, and that's the only way I see it possible. And, of course, Brian Elliott will have a lot to say about that, as would any goalie in any series that we're about to talk about. Elliott's been one of the better goalies in the league the last 40 games of the season. If he keeps it up and does what he did last year with the St. Louis Blues, then yeah, for sure the Flames have a chance, I guess. Well, first of all, I do remember when you were on the podcast a month or two ago, that the Flames were not in a great situation. They were on a losing skid of some sort. And you were, I wouldn't say you were pumping their tires, but you were keeping it optimistic. And I was going, okay, yeah, maybe he's... Maybe he's just too close to the action and not seeing it from afar. But <laughs> but they turned it around. Like you were you were right. And I mean they've had a bit of a um, surprising season, a bit of an up and down season, and a lot of it could be related to the goaltending. Um, and then you know Monahan and Goudreau didn't get going till later in the season. But at this point they're going up against Anaheim and they've lost most of their games this season to them. I believe four one is the is the season series. Although. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they play each other five times. That seems like a lot. Yeah. Oh, okay, they did. And I I wonder, though, because the last game that they played each other, there was a Cam Fowler injury caused by Mark Giordano. I've seen both GMs kind of go at it in the media to some extent. Do do you think that's going to play a factor, or do you think since it's the playoffs, everyone just kind of 
forgets about the the dirty stuff in terms of what happened in the past, and they just focus on winning the hockey game? Well, in terms of, you know, both GMs going at it, you know, it was uh, Brad Treleving's turn today, and he was pretty upset. He really was upset at what Bob Murray had said, suggesting that Mark Giordano was a dirty player, that he intentionally hurt Cam Fowler. Um, again, I, I don't think I'm too close to the action to realize it. Like, Mark Giordano is not a dirty player. He's, he plays hard, but no one's ever accused him of being dirty. Um, that's just sour grapes or frustration, whatever the case may be. And the Flames GM wanted to put him in his place uh, today and, and make it clear that Bob Murray was either drunk or just trying to uh, get the officials to buy in and maybe play some head games here. Um, will there be a spillover? Most people in the Flames dressing room say no. Of course, they're going to say that. I guess they don't want that. But also, I think, you know, once you get to the playoffs, there's usually a lot of hype about these matchups. And I don't think anyone's going to go after Giordano per se because he's already fought Josh Manson and got his hat handed to him. Uh, he took his medicine. But, you know, it's going to be a nasty series. There's no question about it. This is actually one of the closest rivals that Calgary Flames have. And, uh, you know, the fact that their last playoff matchup was two years ago against Anaheim didn't go very well for the Flames. But there's just a lot of bad blood. Add to the fact you got Corey Perry, Ryan Kessler, two of the most despised human beings in the National Hockey League. Add to that uh, the fact that Kevin Bieksa is no longer now a Vancouver Canuck where he was hated by Flames. Now he's in Anaheim. There's going to be a lot of different things that are going to happen over this series that are going to spark some some, some of that... Uh, hijinks after the whistle the flames say they want to stay away from it and they'd be wise to do so i don't think it's as easy as as they think it's going to be i think you're going to see a lot of garbage and i think that'll add to the excitement of the series well i think they're going to have to keep all their focus on what's going on between the whistles because anaheim has three lines that can just come at you a star on every line if i break it down it's richie getzloff eves so you got getzloff as as the core guy there and eves has 32 goals this year uh, just a phenomenal year for him. Cogliano, Kessler, Silverberg, two out of three guys are, are, are stars or borderline stars there with Kessler and Silverberg. And then Raquel, Vermette, and Perry. Raquel is a very underrated star. He's, he's just scoring at, at great paces the last two years. And he's scored 10 game-winning goals this year, so you can't kind of discount his, his clutch ability, if you will. So I know that the, the defense corpse on 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 calgary is great they have two great pairings but i wonder can they keep up with those three lines just coming at you constantly oh yeah that's that'll be the big question you know and what's different about this team uh for the flames team than it was two years ago when they lost in five to the ducks is you know the flames team is a lot deeper now it's a little older um they've got a little more experience under their belt um and and the big thing that they've added this year that they haven't had in past years is they become one of the more, Lord, I'm not going to say elite teams, but they became one of the fortuitous teams in the league that have two solid lines, two very, very good lines, to the point where in Calgary you, you might even have to call them 1 and 1A. Uh, you've never been able to say that before in Calgary. Like in 25 years you haven't been able to say that uh, in Calgary. But uh, the Michael Backlund line this year with Matthew Kachuk and Michael Froelich has been by far the most valuable line to this team all year long. They were there when Gaudreau and Monaghan were invisible. Uh, they've been there from start to finish. And they're also the top team. They're also the top line 
against everybody others every other team's top checker or top forward. So they're a shutdown line, they're a scoring line, they really do it all. And the added bonus for people who tune into this series is the fact that Matthew Kachuk is on that line and you are going to see him emerge in this playoff as someone who's every bit as detestable to watch if it's if he's not on your team as Bieksa, Corey Perry, Ryan Kessler. He's he's just an agitator to the nth degree. You're going to see that come out in in huge spades throughout this series. So that'll be something to watch for. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what Kachuk can do. I mean, he's got to he's got to hope he doesn't take too many penalties, but uh, he's he's just a perfect playoff player, especially if you're an observer from afar. Or you just you just watch him go about his business, and it's it's fun to watch. Now, is, do you have an update on Chad Johnson? I know that he was injured recently, and I know he's the number two now, but you never know what can happen with Brian Elliott. Yeah, they've you know they've uh, he's he's skated this morning, but not with the team, so he's getting better. He's going to go on the road with the Flames to Anaheim tomorrow, but that doesn't mean he's going to play. Um, you know, I doubt he's going to dress in those either of those first two games. So, uh, you know, he's the bat, he's the third stringer at this point in time. You know, uh, put it to you this way: if if the Calgary Flames are down to their backup goalie, this series is over even faster than people thought. This series will hang on the balance of of uh, Brian Elliott, one way or the other. I really believe that, and uh, you know, doesn't really matter to me who the backup is. If it gets to that, it's already too late. Well, and stranger things have happened where a goalie has taken over a series where Brian Elliott could end up being the story of this whole series. But, I mean, the the odds are against that happening when you look at the Ducks roster and you look at John Gibson and Ned, who I actually looked up his stats today. He's having a better season than I thought he was. He has a 9.24 save percentage. That's right up there, a top 10 goalie in the league. And he's played a lot. He's kind of, he's finally, you know, ha- he has that role all to himself. No Frederick Anderson, so... That's going to be a tough task, putting pucks in the net for the Johnny Goudreaux, Sean Monahans, uh, Kachucks back. And that that group that scores for them, will they be able to on on such a such a star goalie at this point? Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, I, it's not it's not a done deal uh, in terms of who the starter is going to be in Anaheim. Uh, Randy Carlisle never announces his goalie until basically the goalie skates out onto the ice for the game. Um, he doesn't announce it after the morning skate. He doesn't announce it a day or two in advance. I wouldn't be surprised if he went either way, uh, if he went to Gibson or even Bernier. It was unthinkable that Bernier would be the starter, I think, earlier this season or certainly last year when we were watching him in Toronto. But uh, I think it's, uh, that's a situation where Carlisle, Carlisle looks at it as 1A and 1B as well. So, yeah, big decision that he has to make there and uh, could have a huge impact on the series uh, depending on whether he makes the right call or not. All right, let's shift to the second most interesting Western series, in my opinion, and that's the Oilers and the Sharks. And finally, the Oilers are back in the playoffs. That's going to be a huge weight weight lifted off of their shoulders as an organization in the city. Finally, they get to see some playoff hockey for once. And you got to start with Connor McDavid with with the Oilers and with the Sharks. He's just, he had a 100-point season. It's all going to depend on him and how far he can take this team. And I think that, they can, if 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 McDavid is not shut down by whatever the Sharks throw at him, I think that they have a strong chance. Uh, Talbot's played great this year. There's no reason to think that he won't continue to do so. And the Sharks are banged up right now. Joe Thornton's injured. So is Logan Couture. They're both apparently going to play in Game One, but they're definitely not 100% based on reports. 
And you look at the Sharks roster and you go, where's the time gone? All these guys are super old and they don't have, I mean, they have some young players, but they're not part of their, the really difference making group. And I just look at the series and go, if Edmonton just kind of plays a straight game and doesn't get too fancy, I think that they can win the series. And it's kind of crazy to say that now, considering at the beginning of the season, I thought the Sharks would go all the way. Yeah, it's and certainly the way they've been trending, it's it's kind of one of those head scratches where you're thinking, whatever happened to the Sharks? I mean, Brent Burns was my uh, Hart Trophy pick um, a month and a half ago, maybe two months ago, and now I'm not even sure I'm going to vote for him for the Norris uh, to win it. I mean, he's certainly number one or two for the Norris on my ballot, but uh, he's no longer in the mix for the Hart conversation, I can tell you that, because he's disappeared over the last month and a half. Uh, and, and so have the Sharks, and I don't think it's a coincidence that the two have done that together because he's such a big part of that team. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I would be quite surprised if the Oilers didn't win this series. They've got momentum, they've got goaltending, and they've got Connor McDavid. I mean, they have other things, and we could talk about those other things, but really, in a way, do you, do you need much more than Connor McDavid and a goalie to get by the first round on a team that's really been struggling? I think the Sharks have one win or two wins in their last 12 games, 13 games. When they came through Calgary last week, uh, they were just struggling like crazy. So, you know, the Oilers even bolstered their, their lineup. David D'Arnais has fit in well as their third-line center. Um, and, and they've got some depth there now, too. And they've got some muscle with Milan Lucic and Maroon. Uh, they've got, they can hurt you in a lot of different ways. Even their defense, which was their big question mark heading into the season, has been shored up considerably. Um, they're another year more experienced, and they're playing quite well. So, I uh, yeah I'm with you. I would uh, Oilers in in five six at the most I would think. Yeah, I, it's it's you know I'm hesitant to give them too much credit because it's their first playoffs as a group. Like even Jordan Eberle, this is his first playoffs. It feels like he's been in the league forever, but this is his first chance. And you know Ryan Nugent Hopkins. In a way, it's kind of you know it's good to see because you want you want to see those players in in under the the limelight and see if they're actually you know clutch players and and all that. Obviously Eberle has his world junior accolades but he's never even been able to try out the playoffs let alone uh strut his stuff so i think it just comes down to mcdavid and that's that's the easy kind of answer or the easy angle in this but Mm -hmm. it's i don't know i don't know where else to go with it because he was so phenomenal in the regular season and there's you there's no sort of uh there's no holes in in what he's done over the season there was no like super cold streak or um you know issues in his game that are that are very concerning so you know, you got when you got that guy carrying your team, you can get through a team like San Jose that's a little banged up and a little, I guess, vulnerable would be the right word. Yeah, yeah, I I don't disagree. I think, I think all those are good points. You know, they can play a big boy game now too, right? With 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 those big guys I mentioned earlier and Zach Cassian. I mean, if if teams want to muck it up, and San Jose's not necessarily one of them, but they're a big team. But if they want to start, you know, cheap shotting and and, and getting into the rough stuff. The Oilers can play that game now too, and that's the weapon they never had for ten years. They were always shoved around uh, and completely abused by every team they played against. Now they're standing up for themselves, standing up for one another, and uh, so Connor McDavid can feel comfortable knowing that he's got lots of protection around him. And yeah, pretty impressive team right now. And I dare say that they're the team I want to watch the most in the playoffs. To be honest, I mean, a lot of great matchups, a lot of great teams, a lot of great. Uh, great players that that you know you're lo- looking to elevate their game, but uh, that's a team right now that I'm very curious to see how they elevate their game to that next level, given the fact that they haven't been able to try even try that 
for more than 10 years. How about Chicago and Nashville? Uh, all central division uh, matchup there. Who, who do you have in, in that, in that first round series? You know, I liked Chicago lost early last year and I, I just can't see them losing two years in a row early. It's just too good a franchise. And I think they learned from last year. There's a lot of question marks, obviously they got a lot of kids in that lineup. Obviously um, they got the cornerstones that every team in the league would love to have, but I just don't know about their goaltending. And it's awful that we're continually questioning Corey Crawford because he's gone out, won a couple cups. Um, and you know, and yet we still question him all the time and wonder if he's good enough. Uh, you know, I, I, I still have Chicago, um, but but they're not going to – Nashville's not going to go quietly. You know, Pekka Rinne, if he plays his, you know, world-class goaltending like he, he can and has many times over the years, he's great. Um, and, I, I, you know, the the defensive core in, in Nashville is, is obviously formidable. Everybody knows that. Uh, they're a bit banged up right now, but I also think up front they don't have the stars that Chicago has. But you know, guys like James Neal, Ryan Johansson, uh, Victor Arvidsson is playing phenomenal hockey right now, and then Philip Forsberg. There are a lot of reasons to think that Nashville could make some noise in this series. But at the end of the day, I can't see a juggernaut like Chicago losing in that first round. Yeah, I've got Blackhawks in seven. I think that Nashville is going to really, really push them and really just come at them full force and give them a ton of problems. And maybe the Blackhawks will be worn out by the end of it. But I think the Hawks get through. I just think Nashville, it's not, it's not their year in terms of their development. I think like you sort of mentioned, they ha- they're top heavy with their, with their forwards. They have some really major pieces, but their depth is lacking. And in the, and the defense core, they're, they're great puck movers, the Subans, the Ekholm, Josie, Ellis, that top four is great. I just wonder how they're going to manage in the playoffs against a team like Chicago. And But, uh, you know, on the flip side, what makes me kind of pause is that Nashville's played so great lately, and they've they've just been able to kind of string together a better season than we thought when they came out of the gate with, with not the greatest start. And we'll see what happens there. But I'm thinking Blackhawks in seven. Are you saying Blackhawks in how many? I'll say Blackhawks in six, yep. Okay, and then we go to the last series of the Western Conference, Minnesota and St. Louis. I'm having a hard time getting excited about this series. Yeah. I, I do like the Wild. like I think they're a good team, but the, the Blues are just kind of blah in my mind, and I, just this, this is the one on the on, fourth on the list for me in the West. This one to me is a tough one to pick. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say there's a lot of it. Hey. For 20 years, the Minnesota Wild have been one of the most boring teams in the league to watch. They're a lot more exciting now. Um, and I will I will argue with you that they are one of the five deepest teams in the National Hockey League. I oh, really sure. believe that. The addition of Eric Stahl has given them that strength up the middle to put Miku Koivu on the second line, which, you know, speaking to them earlier this year, and Bruce Boudreaux, they just raved about how Koivu's had his best season of his career. Uh, Jason Zucker has been phenomenal. Um, you know, it takes a lot of pressure off of Zach Parise, who, you know, forever was being counted on to carry the bulk of the offense. Now he's just a bit piece uh, on that team in terms of the offense. And, you know, Charlie Coyle had a good year. Um, I just, they're deep. Uh, they're great on defense. I really like their defense. And, of course, their goaltending. I, I'm, he's probably my second choice for the Vesna this year. Um, 
he you know he wasn't as strong down the stretch, but Devin Dubnik to me, I'll take him every every day of the week in a in a playoff series, seven games. So uh, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take St. Louis. All that said, just because <laughs> just because they've been there, yeah. that's the thing. I mean, they've been there. Um, they've quietly gone about you know having a really solid second half of this season. Even you know after they co- they fired their coach, um, they just quietly they, they have strength up the middle. They've got you know, scoring prowess with Tarasenko and Steen. And I love Jaden Schwartz, one of my favorite players in the National Hockey League. And their defense is phenomenal too. So I, I'm i going with St. Louis based 100% on the fact that Minnesota is basically new to the dance and uh, they don't have the experience. They have, certainly haven't gone through the heartbreak that St. Louis has gone through over the years. I'm I'm going with Wild and Six. And you mentioned the forward group. I'll, I'll rhyme off some numbers here. They have two guys with sixty points, three guys with fifty points, and three guys with forty points. Like they're that top six or sorry, top nine is is just they've all produced yeah. every single one of them, and I think they're for real. And the whole Bruce Boudreaux kind of playoff choker thing, I think, is well, one, it's it's kind of gone to a point where everyone talks about it so much that it's kind of it's lost its luster as an argument. And also, he's been in a bunch of game sevens and lost, but I think that's more you know a toss up when when it's in game seven. You know, pucks go this way, pucks go that way. So I know a lot of people are kind of hanging on to, oh, but Bruce Boudreau co- coaches the Wild. That means they're going to lose. That has nothing to do with it. They're they had a great regular season, and I think the past doesn't really dictate what they're doing this year. Um, mm. That being said, with, with the Blues, the reason I'm not you know saying that the Wild's going to sweep them is that they're coming into the playoffs on a nice run here. Uh, since Mike Yo took over, they've been one of the better teams in the league, and that can't be forgotten. I mean, it's there's something to be said about charging into the playoffs as opposed to backing in. And um, one of the, I guess one of the storylines is kind of Mike Yo because he, he used to coach the wild and here he is on the other side as, as a replacement mid season for the blues. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's been there all year with them, but uh, you know, that dual coaching yeah, role, yeah. which nobody thought would work out. Um, and, and, you know, since they've relieved Ken Hitchcock, yeah, they've, they responded in a way I don't think people expected them to. And, I, I thought the Blues, they were my pick to win the Stanley Cup, I think, two of the last three years. Um, and, and I say two of the last three years because last year I didn't pick them. I'd given up on them, thought their window had closed, and then they went on their longest run of the three years. So it shows what I know. But I, I, I've I loved the, the chemistry they've had. I love the size. And now I love the experience. And, um, you know, I, 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 I'm sticking with it. I'm going with the Blues in that one. Fair enough. So we only disagreed on one series, so we'll have to pay attention to the winner there. All right, so we went through the Western Conference, the first round, the four series there. Got your opinion on that. It's the end of the regular season. There's a lot of award talk. I want to get your picks. So, I mean, I feel like there's two that are we should just I should just bring up, and you say, oh, yes, yes, and then we move on. Connor, yeah. Mc, Connor McDavid, the heart, yep. and Austin Matthews, the calder. It, it pains me. I mean, Sidney Crosby is still the best player in the world because he's won the Stanley Cup and got the Conn Smythe, and then he won the World Cup and was the MVP. Those are four titles that no man in the history of the world has ever held at once. And so it's so hard for me to stomach saying, yeah, but there's another guy who's better. But it's not about who's the best player in the world. It's the guy, it's the guy who's the most valuable to his team. It's tough to argue. You know, 
really under that wording, I'm surprised Crosby's ever won the heart because he's got such a great supporting cast and Malkin and so many other guys. But obviously, you take Connor McDavid off the Oilers and they're not in the playoffs. So Connor McDavid's my heart trophy candidate. But it took up until about the last month for me to confirm that in my mind. Um, You know, the other one that is a sure thing, I I don't know if you think Carlson, most people seem to think Carlson should and will win the Norris Trophy. I'm still sticking with Brent Burns because the numbers he put up, especially in terms of goals, the style he plays, crucial to the San Jose Sharks. And like I said, when he kind of struggled over the last month and a half, so did the Sharks. That shows me how valuable he is to the Sharks. I was actually, I was saying Hart, Connor McDavid, and Calder, Austin Matthews were the shoe-ins, but maybe you have a different uh, Calder opinion. No, no, no. And you know what? But that's another one that really took for me until the last month of the season to kind of figure out who I was going to vote for. Um, you know, yeah, Austin Matthews, I'm sorry, but the way he finished, the way he got them in the playoffs, his game-winning goals, just everything about it. it to me, it's a no-brainer. Patrick Line, a kind of, I don't want to say faded, but he didn't have the strong finish like Austin Matthews did. Um, no question in my mind, Matthews. Yeah, I think that one's more or less determined at this point. Uh, so, yeah, we got your Norris, we got your Calder, we got your Hart. What about Vesna? Vesna, I don't, I don't see how you could go against Bobrovsky. Um, with, you know, kudos, strong kudos, like I said, to uh, Devin Dubnik. But uh, Bobrovsky's got my vote for sure for, for that one. And then these two these two awards, uh, they're always difficult to decide on just based on, you know, how can you watch every player on every team? And these are sort of eye test ones. You can look at the stats, I guess, but it's more of a scouting award. Uh, the Lady Bing and the Frank Selkie, do you know where you're leaning with those? Yeah, the, the Selkie to me is a very easy one, but I, I doubt anybody else is going to figure it out. It's uh, Michael Backlund. And again, it's going to sound like a homer when I say that, but Michael Backlund led this team in scoring almost, you know, most of the season and carried this team when this team was devoid of its star players. Uh, He's long been one of the better defensive forwards in the National Hockey League. He's always focused on defense first. This year was kind of the, well, last year he had 20 goals, which was a breakthrough. This year was the first year he really exploded offensively. And all the other usual suspects that you generally talk about with the Selkie, uh, the Jonathan Taves, the Patrice Bergeron, their numbers pale in comparison to Michael Backlund's if you start putting them up against one another. So, you know, I don't expect he's going to win it because I just think it, it might seem like an obscure pick. Or maybe in Toronto, you've heard this. Maybe you've heard us kind of beating the drum for him or the general manager beating the drum for him. Uh, I'd be interested to see what you what you were kind of thinking in terms of the Selkie. Well, I was just looking at it before we started doing the podcast a couple hours ago, and it was him... Bergeron and Kessler that I was looking at. Kessler seems to have more of the uh, well-rounded. He put up a lot of points while playing against hard competition, while limiting the other team in terms of scoring chances and shot attempts, all that kind of stuff. Bergeron was also really high on that, but he didn't have the offense. So I don't know if that if that factors in. It's really hard. I, I still haven't wrapped my head around who I would choose, but I wrote down Patrice Bergeron um, also based on face-offs and sort of how is the team does when he's not on the ice and he's just the, the team is just flat out better when he's on the ice which seems silly because a lot of really good players that makes sense but it's it's quite dramatic with uh with Bergeron so between those three I'd probably if I actually was submitting a vote I'd have to think about it more but I landed on Bergeron in sort of a 
a fast uh, evaluation. Yeah, and and see to me like that that award, and I'm not criticizing those choices because they're the usual suspects. But that award to me is it's so often just done on reputation and and history too, right? If a guy gets nominated one year, well then he's always going to be in the mix for future years because everyone says he's so great defensively. But um, and and Kessler of that list you presented, I mean Bergeron's not even on my list, uh, but uh, Kessler would be up there uh, for sure. Uh, but again, Backlund faced the top line every game of the season and uh, shut him down quite well. And so he's he's odds on for me, no brainer. He's the Selkie winner. I think uh, Johnny Goudreau might get some Lady Bing action. He only has four penalty minutes or had the season's over in 72 games. And a lot of times it just comes down to that and being you know a respectful guy, not getting fined or suspended for for uh, off the top of my head. I can't remember Goudreau getting in trouble with the league. No, no, he, he, I, I agree with you. Goudreau is a, a guy who'll certainly be in that mix. I haven't kind of narrowed down my five guys I'm going to nominate for that, but I, Goudreau's certainly in the mix with four penalty minutes. Like, I, it's funny because we all remember in Calgary the first two minutes he got, and it was, it was actually a blown call. It wasn't him who did it. Uh, it was one of his teammates. And so, oh, really? Wow. Yeah, so that's kind of funny. But, um, and we laughed and we said, well, there goes his, uh, there goes his lady bang, and it's not even his fault. Uh, but yeah, when you put up that much offense, and he didn't even have a great year offensively, but you put up that much offense, and you're already considered a star in the league, and you're you know you don't get that many penalties. Yeah, he's in the mix. I I I think I'd be foolish to kind of give it to Gaudreau right now. That would really sound like a homer. I have to do a little more research before I you know pick my five finalists because there are lots of guys who could be eligible for something like that, and you know that's another one that I think is. I don't want to say it's a ridiculous award. I mean, but you know, Yuri Hoodler won it before, and you know, the, I just didn't agree with that at all. So, you know, lots of options there. Yeah, sometimes it just seems random, or you know, it could be a guy that just happens to not be getting a lot of penalties. That you know what I mean? It's just there doesn't seem to be too much rhyme or reason to it. But the Jack Adams has more more substance to it, and I think. This might be Mike Babcock's award to lose. And for most of the season, I was beating the John Tortorella drum and even Bruce Boudreaux to an extent. But just the fact that he got the Leafs from 30th to the playoffs by just using rookies, essentially, um, you got to give him credit. He's at least a top three. I think he's probably the winner in terms of what people are going to vote for. And I think personally, I would vote for uh, Mike Babcock as well. Yeah, I can't disagree. Uh, Boudreau, Boudreau's team faded in the stretch. Otherwise, maybe he was, you know, right there. Um, Tortorella, hey, he took that team from obscurity to to dominance. He didn't just get them in the playoffs like Babcock did on the second last night. I mean, that Columbus team was one of the best teams in the National Hockey League this year. And you know, so I, I there are a lot of guys out east. I'm assuming that will look at Tortorella and and say he did much more than the Leafs did. Um, but there's also the personality too, right? I mean, there are human beings who vote on this award, and there are a lot of human beings that don't like John Tortorella. Uh, so that will go against him. Um, and, and hey, I'm not saying I'm not saying Babcock's the most popular guy of all time either. But Babcock to me is the guy. He did it with kids, and uh, and and what I really like about what Babcock did, he did it with an exciting style of hockey. It wasn't just guys were going to left wing lock and it's all defense first and we're going to play from the back end out try not to make any mistakes to try to win games 2-1 he 
he was okay with track meets. He was okay with with offense and creativity, and uh, I like that in a coach. So Babcock gets my vote. You hit on a great point there because Babcock created this environment where these youngsters, the Matthews, the Marners, the Nylanders, they're incredibly skilled, and they've been given free reign, so to speak, uh, to an extent um, where they can strut their stuff, they can do whatever they want offensively within you know the system that Babcock instills, but they still need to back check. They still need to take care of their responsibilities on the defensive end because Babcock tells them, you know, this isn't junior hockey. You can't just waltz around and do whatever you want. And you saw that come out sometimes when he spoke to the media about William Nylander earlier in the season, and he would go down the depth chart a little bit to the third and fourth lines. And then end of the season, Nylander's got over 60 points. So obviously something um, went in his head and, and he thought about it and went, okay, this is all I'm going to play and I'm going to get the respect to my coach. And here he is, uh, you know, having a phenomenal season. And then you even look at a veteran like Jake Gardner, who's been held back by some coaches. And since Babcock came, this this also goes back to last year. He said, you are a good puck-moving defenseman, so we're going to use as a puck-moving defenseman, and we're going to play to your strengths, and we're not going to have you working outside of your skill set. So Babcock's just done a lot with what he's been given. I'll put it that way. Yep, yep. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think he's ever won the Jack Adams. No, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure how that happened, but I guess when you're so consistent in uh, Detroit, that's, then why are people going to vote for you, right? Yeah, and, and, and in that vein, you know, there are lots of guys out there who probably should have won. You know, I, I heard the stat the other day, no coach, whoever coached Merrill Lemieux uh, has ever won Coach of the Year, uh, or Jack Adams, and, and a list of other guys, I think, Gretzky, although Sather might have won. I, I, I can't remember, but usually when you have a superstar on your team, it almost immediately excludes you from winning that award, which, fair or not, is, is it's part of the reality, I guess. Yeah, between the Lady Bing, the Frank Selke, and the Jack Adams, I think we've talked ourselves out of it. Any of it all making sense? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyways, it's tough. It take you know what? As someone who does have a, have uh, who votes on all this stuff, it is labor intensive. I think a lot of people just think you just slap your list together in ten minutes, or you've been thinking about it all year long. When it's time to sit down and actually start ranking them, and and you know excluding number six from your list of five. You know, it's tough. It's hard. And you kind of feel bad at times because you think, ah, that guy's a great guy, but I just, I got to edge him out because of this or that. It's it, it's fun to do. And I know a lot of people would love to do it, but it's not easy. It's 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 a chore. Yeah. And well, it's good that the voters are taking care of uh, their time and really putting thought into it and not, like you said, opening up an email going one, two, three, four, five and sending it off. So that's good to hear. Yeah. And uh, Eric, great having you on again. Uh, how can people find your fine work? Well, I'm in the Calgary Sun. I'm in the Calgary Herald every day, uh, you know, post-media. So uh, you can find me on, I guess, Slam Canoe um, and, uh, yeah, all sorts of places. So uh, uh, I'll be busy over the next little while. We'll see how long that, that while lasts with the Flames. But uh, uh, there'll be lots to write about that much. I know there's already been lots to write about uh, heading into this series. Awesome, Eric. Thanks again. Thank you, sir. We'll talk soon, John.